that's no fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Outsourcing your brain is never a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an excellent. Hello and welcome to episode 109 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Truscott and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career from techie to CMO and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that will inspire the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday, April the 8th. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark and I dive back into our five F in marketing fundamentals and talk about being a challenger brand. Sadly, my guests couldn't make it this week, so I share three marketing thoughts from my week. And we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my chum Robert Rose for a cocktail and his marketing thoughts. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right on to our first segment. My chum, Jeff Clark, is a sought-after marketing strategy advisor and former Serious Decisions Forester Research Director. And this week, we dive back into our five effing marketing fundamentals, which, to wildly summarize, are branding, research, telling the story, the customer journey, and marketing operations. This week, we pick a bit more at number one, branding, and what it takes to be different and become a challenger brand. Welcome, Jeff, back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing very well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, mate. I'm doing all right. And I know that first item on the agenda is the weather. And uh, here has been very peculiar, very windy. And then we get uh, beautiful sunshine and then uh, and then it will rain. I saw the sun coming in your window over your shoulder. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. It's been one of those peculiar days. A, it, a, a sort of a, a windy spring day, I think we can say. What about yourself? How's Massachusetts? We're having a gray spring day. It's, you know, it's reasonable temperature. Yes. Rain's coming and going every now and then. Mm-hmm. It's the April showers bring May flowers day. Yes. Nice. Yeah, we've got the blossom coming out on the trees and stuff. So it looks very nice. All right. <laughs> we've done the weather. Our next uh, agenda item will be a topic of our choosing. Um, now, we have been a lot if anybody's been paying attention on regular listeners uh, we have been trying to cover the f- five effing marketing fundamentals each of those five effing marketing fundamentals in 20 minutes we have pretty much failed each time 
and, and then we went over time. Yes. And and ahead of the show, we were talking about um, episode 103, which was when we talked about branding. Um, I understand that there is more to branding than we were able to do in 20 minutes. Oh, boy. What do you say, Jeff? There is more to branding that we were able to cover. And I, mm. I'd be willing to wager that we'll come back and cover it again, as a matter of yes. fact. Yes. So, um, so I think, yeah, and, and actually also... I think before we hit the fundamentals, we were we were going through our list of our favorite you you know your favorite books, my favorite marketing yes, books, yeah, and yeah. and so I chose. I was thinking about going back to this topic from one of my favorite marketing books, which is mm-hmm. "Eating the Big Fish" uh, from a, a gentleman by the name of Adam Morgan. In mm-hmm. the book came out in 1999. He did a re, re uh, you know uh, revised version, which mm-hmm. I think is actually released fairly recently, and. Um, and so it's about uh, creating a challenger brand and what you have to yeah. do to create a challenger brand. And I was in, and since when I read the book was in the you know, early two thousands and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of the examples that, that he had were from companies that were, you know, like a Starbucks or whatever that were like, yeah. you know, back when Starbucks was new <laughs> yeah. and, and what they were yeah. doing to be a challenger brand. Yeah. And, uh, and so, but I, I was thinking about that relative to some of the, you know, what I would say, one of the, the more successful challenger brands of late, which would be Tesla, yeah. the yeah. electric uh, car company. Yeah. And, and, uh, just kind of like taking the, 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 uh, you know, the credos, he has a credos yeah. of what a challenger brand has to do and, and applying that to Tesla. See, you know, right. see, give but it a smell test. Yeah, but just to rewind on that a little bit, if people aren't, I don't, I'm not actually familiar with eating the big fish. When you suggested it, I should have bought it and I should have read it, and I didn't. Um, what's so is that is that book about being that challenger brand? Is that what it outlines? It's it it's completely that, that's its total focus, and it's mm-hmm. and it's really saying that if you, I mean, there's obviously a variety of ways you can compete in yeah. a market, and they're saying yeah. if you if you if you've got some big market gorillas and right. you're you you. You know, you really don't want to compete directly against them. You don't want to compete mm-hmm. on their terms. So, what do you do right. to develop the alternative market space based on your unique qualities and how you can service the right. client, so that you get to a point where you say, you know, you know, we all might be buying, want to buy some particular product or service, yeah. but if you want to buy it, this this type of product or service, then you have to come to us. Right. So you create, and and one of the key pieces, which we'll go into a little bit, is the. Yeah the concept of a lighthouse brand. So you define, right. if you can define your brand based on the negatives of the big market yeah. gorillas, yeah. then you can carve out that market space. And, right. and the, the way I <clears throat> was introduced to this is that when I was at, at Progress Software and we're selling yeah. development platform, we're up against, you know, the Java, the .NETs, mm-hmm. you know, back when those were <laughs> yeah. reasonably new in the market. And, yeah. um, and you know you had to be stand everything had to be standards based had to fit yeah. into one of those yeah, and yeah. so and so we basically used the concept of the lighthouse brand to basically say well if you if you're looking for a development platform that that has these characteristics that are just mm-hmm. the uh, absolute opposite of the big market gorillas then yeah. that's why you come to us and it so, was reasonably su- successful for right obviously for we 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 don't have the market cat or Progress doesn't have the market cap of Tesla, so it wasn't yeah. completely successful. <laughs> <laughs> well, who does? Well, I think, and and so I think it, that in my B two B product marketing perspective, that's been that's really kind of redefining the category or defining your category, and then sort of 
bringing the vision of the of the market around to that category rather than is that correct i mean yeah but yeah. it's 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 but you're not defining uh, i mean some ways of defining a market category are yeah. are strictly to say that there's a new set of products out there mm-hmm. but it, this is more about creating an identity that's more about an idea mm-hmm. than it is about i mean cuz like if you take tesla they sell a yeah. car yeah, yeah. Tim sells a yeah. car, Ford sells a car, Toyota sells a yeah. car. So you're basically you're you're still all buying cars. Now they have electric yeah. cars, but also every other major manufacturer of cars has electric cars. So yeah. how do you create an uh, how do you create a an more of an idea focused mm-hmm. identity that yeah. um, that really starts to attract a particular type of customer and then build on that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the category analogy still well because you're really, really I mean it's like what Drift did with conversational marketing. They've yeah. taken yep. chatbots and created conversational marketing and then in people's heads Drift no longer competes with chatbots. It's in, in its own yeah. place, right? That's so, another good example. Yep. Yeah, so um so in that book as I understand it because uh, we did some prep and I've got some notes. <laughs> there were eight is it credos? Eight credos. Eight credos within that book. So do you want to talk us through those? Yes. Why they chose credos, I don't know. It's a, right. It was interesting. Why they titled the book Eating the Big Fish, I don't know either, you know, because right. they talk about market gorillas. So uh, fish, gorillas, whatever. But anyway. Um, <laughs> eating the big gorillas. <laughs> which maybe, maybe the thing is that wouldn't, it doesn't sound very tasty. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's, that might have been the conversation they had at the publishers. So we've got this great book. It's called Eating the Big Gorilla. <laughs> No, 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 Pete, we don't eat gorillas, mate. <laughs> it's, got, it's got to be a fish. Oh, That's but right. then we'll have to rewrite the whole book and get rid of our gorilla analogies. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so, um, so yes, yeah, so let, mm-hmm. we'll march a bit, you know, since we only got 20 minutes, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, let's not spend a lot of time on all eight of them, because some of them yep. apply, some of them don't, at least for right. our example of Tesla. So yeah. first credo is break from your past. So this yeah. is, and actually... So if I think back to my days at, at, at Progress, if we, if, if we, I mean, we did some work trying to redefine a particular product, but if we were really trying to do a break from the past, we would have, we would have executed more on all of these different credos. Mm-hmm. But for Tesla, that's a clean slate. You know, they're, yeah. they're born out of Silicon Valley. They were partially yeah. initially financed by uh, federal funds for economic mm-hmm. stimulus after the big mm-hmm. 2008 crash. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, jumpstarting a clean tech company. Mm-hmm. So. So they got to basically start with a clean slate. Mm. So, yeah. um, so, but if you're, but again, if you're, if you're an existing company and you're saying, well, yeah. we're, now we need to, we need to, we need to make this shift, then that's where you've got to take yeah, that credo. Yeah. yeah. But that's the challenge. Isn't it? I mean, we've had that a, a company, both of us worked at where the, the, the main brand is, is, is well known for something specific and you're trying to shift it. And, and a lot of all, this is where organizations, particularly in B2B, are challenged, aren't they? In, in, and that's why they get disrupted, don't they? Absolutely. And, 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 if you, and if you look, if you read, the, if you get the uh, 1999 version of the book, which I'm sure yeah. in the recent update, they've, they've changed all of the, yeah. the, the examples they're using. But if you go back to the 1999 version, you find companies that were, were probably successful at the time, but they yeah. maybe they didn't follow through yeah. all the way. And I, I'll, I'll yeah. touch on one of those examples. Yeah. It's another car company, yeah. but, um, but yeah, that's if, I mean, that's one of the things that's actually one of the credos is, is, yeah. co- is commitment. You're overcommitted. Yeah. It's like, you have got to, yeah. once you define this strategy, you have got to execute it a hundred percent. 
There's yeah. no, as soon as you wiggle, do a little wiggle yeah, room, yeah. you're, you're, um, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's always the case, isn't it? With brand messaging like that. If you're going to try and break from your past, you need to authentically do it all in. You can't just, you can't just faff about yeah. on the edges. And it's, and it's actually, which I think Tesla is a really good example of this. Yeah. It's, it's the way the whole company executes. It's yeah, not marketing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the way the whole company executes. Yeah, yeah. Which was yeah. the challenge that we had at, when I was at Progress. Yeah, you did say we we're supposed to skip through these, and I've I've detained you it's on, on credo number one. <laughs> so, what, what's what's and that's all peculiar. It's still a peculiar word, credo. So, what's credo number two? Is create a lighthouse identity, and so this mm. is a. Um, I always got tripped up on the concept of the lighthouse because to me the lighthouse is shining a light on something else. But basically, yeah. the idea is that you. And, and this is one of the exercises that I remember doing is you you create a number of characteristics and you describe the the bad guys, you, the, the yeah. big gorilla competitors. And and you see, you know, the things that are negatives, you yeah. say, so what can we say about ourselves and not just say yeah. about ourselves, but what what is true about our value proposition mm-hmm. that is the opposite of that? Mm-hmm. And so I actually took, you know, they used um, uh, in the book. Um, that I read the, the edition was you know, they used Saturn, the uh, car company, which is the oh, division of GM, which is no longer around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they they did this. Uh, they showed this lighthouse identity for Saturn, oh. and and so I I took some of the same things about the traditional yeah. U.S. auto business, and I and I started applying it to Tesla, and yeah. and so if you think about um, you know kind of the the identity of where the the car companies come from and again this is traditional u.s auto companies they come from like the quote unquote the city of industry detroit right yeah tesla came from silicon valley you know it's like we're we're we're, we're, you know we're going to start a car company a place that nobody would think a car company would start from right uh you know and what do you when you go to a dealership what do you you usually experience the hard sell you know how you know my goal is to get you in a car today and yeah. and with Tesla, Tesla it sells itself. You know, it's not yeah. you. You don't. Matter of fact, you know, the car companies they try to uh, you know paint the. I shouldn't say paint, but they tried to say that the salespeople were actually business people. They're kind of like mm-hmm. independent agents to themselves, and you've got to build your business within the dealership within the car company, right? Yeah. Where yeah. at Tesla, there's no there's no dealers, there's no salespeople. Yeah. You're ordering yeah. online, e-commerce. Yeah. So again. You know. but, that's, but that's to your point that in order to be um, a disruptor, you need to have your whole organization operation structured around that. Yeah. Because if you create certain operational situations or processes, then that will be the behavior you'll get. So if you set up a dealership network and they all need to make their number, they will try and make their number and therefore you'll create bad customer experience. And that was actually one of the problems with Saturn was mm-hmm. that, and it, I shouldn't say with Saturn, it's specifically with the problem with GM was because yeah. Saturn had kind of created this identity as a more mm-hmm. of a, you know, the car dealer down you know in the neighborhood, yeah. friendly. Yeah. There was yeah. uh, one price, you know, there wasn't oh. any, dick. it was the no, no, so dicker sticker yeah. was the term yeah. Yeah. and, and it worked for Saturn. But then as you went to the other, cause the idea was they're going to pilot it with Saturn and yeah. then they were going to go to the other, the other brands yeah. and they were going to do it there. But you know, the, the guys selling at Oldsmobile or Buick, they're mm. like, we don't want to have any part of this. Mm. So, so it failed going across GM and then ultimately, mm. and, and the thing is that either they shouldn't have, they should have kept Saturn very distinct 
mm-hmm. but but in, in trying to do this middle ground and not really executing well across the rest of the yeah. the brands they um they yeah. they screwed everything up we should probably stick to tesla i mean i remember that i mean i was living living in the u.s uh back way back and um <laughs> and my and my boss had a saturn and it really was a bit like the Tesla of today in terms of it was a lifestyle identity brand that yep. people chose because it was different. Yep. Um, and there was a different buying experience and all that kind of good stuff. So let's, so sticking to Tesla so, then. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. So, so just to kind of go through a couple of these other qualities yeah. is that, yeah. you know, price was negotiable with yeah. traditional, I mean, you just yeah. you could see the sticker price, but you could always fiddle around with it. Tesla's standard pricing, yeah. uh, you know, car companies view this, they were selling sheet metal, yeah. Uh, Tesla views they're selling technology. I mean, it's really like you're selling, uh, you know, yeah. a, a, you know, it's like a, you're selling an iPhone that has four wheels. Yeah. Uh, and and it is definitely as opposed to selling cars as a one-off deal. It's you've yeah. got with Tesla, you've got an experience. You've got a, and as you mentioned, yeah. it, you've got a lifestyle brand. Yeah. That, yeah. that it's part of a it's part of a bigger thing than just yeah. buying a car. Yeah. And and one thing that I added because I just think you know when I think particularly the traditional car companies today is like they're selling, you know, with the SUVs and the trucks, it's horsepower from a big gas engine. Yeah. Whereas the, with Tesla, one of their, their brand statements is it's the only stylish car that can go from zero to a hundred in three seconds yeah. without a drop of oil. Yeah. And it's like that to me, that's like, like it says everything. It's like, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're giving you everything that everybody else promises and more. Yeah. But without a drop of oil. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, and and that, and that kind of, um, you know, people people that buy Teslas, you'll know, you know, they've got Teslas because they'll tell you, right? Because that's how, <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, it's um, it, 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 and it, and there's not much we can say about Tesla that hasn't been already said from a marketing perspective. But um, what I did some work with uh, one of the General Motors sub brands here in the UK, and uh, I don't think they're even in General Motors anymore; they've been sold. But um, we, we were talking about running a campaign uh, to to encourage uh, more women to purchase um, purchase cars, and obviously the point of friction was the um, the whole negotiation and the whole dealership experience, right? So, yeah, and I think many of us experience that, not just women, and. Um, and so the whole Tesla thing where you can configure it online and they deliver it to your house, well, that's perfect, right? So Yeah, boom, yeah. boom. Yeah, yeah. In fact, my, uh, my, uh, my car was, uh, I configured it online and delivered to my house. It's not a Tesla, but um, yeah, it's, it's great. So anyway, uh, I'm slowing you down here. What's, what's three, going number, number three? three. Yeah. Uh, assume thought leadership. And, yeah. you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but, um, you know, it's, certainly they're they're getting on the the bandwagon that is mm. part of the fighting climate change was electrify everything so yeah. which which is so tesla's not it, it's certainly about leading in the electric car market but it's also about electrifying everything you know you you can mm. get uh, your batteries for, you know for your house you can buy solar panels you can buy yeah. they're sending people to the moon i mean it, yeah. and it, it's and so and, and they named the company after the one of the pioneers of electricity, uh, mm-hmm. Nikola Tesla. You know, and yeah. and and so, you know, they're even though they don't sell the most uh, EVs in the world, I think Nissan Leaf is is the yeah. is number one worldwide. But it's like they they certainly have dominated this portion of the market. Matter of fact, I, you know, when I was in uh, Norway back in December, they're definitely number one in Norway because it seemed like every other car was a Tesla. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but you know they created this vision 
you know, they invested the resources about executing the vision. They definitely, um, you know, I mean, they, they wanted, which I thought, I think the thing that was a genius was that it's like, we're not going to put out a nice economy car. We're going to put out something that is like, it performs, it's stylish. It's, it's you, when you sit in it, I mean, I went to a kind of a local car show of electric cars and it's like, you see cars that are like the standard, um, yeah, I don't know Hyundai that's been adopted for yeah. an EV engine, and, and it's like okay, it's it's a Hyundai, but yeah. it's like you see yeah. a Tesla and you're like, it just is totally yeah, different. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and I mean they they definitely led that segment, right? So now yeah. they've redefined the segment, as we were saying just now, um, from the break from your past and creating that lighthouse identity. But you're saying that creating number three is human thought leadership. So you're saying that what Tesla has done is not just created a car in the category that's slightly different they're also um winning hearts and minds with this thought leadership process exactly and and it's like and so you know uh elon musk and and everything about what the company does just seems to always reinforce that thought leadership and the interesting thing you mentioned about the car companies that was trying to appeal to women yeah. It, it, it was reading something that said that one of the things is that Tesla doesn't appeal as much to women car buyers because of Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a little too musky. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, that's the challenge they have. And then, you know, if we're going to talk about um, commitment to climate change and you're firing rockets into space. So, and so that's, that's creating the thought, the thought leadership. Of, of what we need to do. Are we moving on to credo number four? Number that- four. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and number four, we've, we've, I mean, there's a lot of overlap in these, in these credos. Yeah. Um, and so credo four, number four, we've touched on a little bit, which has become idea centered, not, mm. not necessarily consumer centered or market centered. Yeah. yeah. And so the idea is, I mean, we've, you know, it's about a revolutionary approach to transport. It's a hundred percent focused on electric vehicles. It's not like yeah. EVs or one of the models. Yeah. Um, they're open source, they're patents yeah. and they praise the rivals. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. the other Polestar and other companies that are getting going, yeah. they're like, Hey, you guys are doing a great job. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's very, it's very different. And, and the fact that they're in so many other businesses that relate mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. <laughs> rocket ships, mm-hmm. notwithstanding, mm-hmm. um, you know, unless the rocket ship is totally battery and solar operated. Um, yeah. you know, maybe it's got a little wind mineral mill on it. Um, <laughs> but it is, it, uh, it yeah, it's, yeah. it's there and they're, and they're, and you always hear about new innovations they're coming out with. I yeah. mean, they're, I read once that they're, they're, they're still working on, um, uh, roofing material that, that, that yeah. becomes a solar collector. So it's, it's, um, yeah, yeah it's like, Oh gosh, so, you know, I want to be yeah, part of yeah. this group because they're, they're, yeah, yeah. They're, I'm part of the idea. Absolutely. I mean, it, like like we were saying, Tesla wins hearts and minds, and people are uh, um, tribal about that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, and if you say bad things about Tesla online, people come along and, and shout you down. And uh, that's a that's a great brand. Um, it's a great thing to have that. as a brand. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah. But then I'm and the interesting thing is I'm, I was listening to um, another podcast. Professor Galloway, a Prof G, and the, the, they were talking about the idea of Apple launching a car. And I think that would be really interesting because there you would then have somebody who genuinely owns the hearts and minds of their consumer, Apple buyers, right? Um, and then, the, I mean, they're the, they're the, um, 
I mean, it's a pri- it, you can't talk about branding without talking about Apple or Tesla at the moment, right? But you imagine those two guys going head to head in that same way in that they both are idea centered in terms of quality or in terms of brand qualities, aren't they? They are. And that would be a very interesting to, to see that play out mm. because it's almost as though Tesla is trying to be the Apple of yes. you know, what Apple is to computing yeah. and to uh, yeah, yeah. personal digital assistance and blah, 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 yeah. is what Tesla is to cars. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, if the two of them converge in the same market, then uh, it's a, <laughs> it's a it's hearts and mind battle. Yeah, it'd be interesting because <laughs> also um, – you know, some of those brand attributes are exactly the same, aren't they, as you say? So yep. see, yeah. seeing, seeing how they compete. Plus, of course, Apple are never an innovator in the marketplace, are they? They just right. they bring their brand values to a product and it just it makes it better. But also yeah. they bring that cons- that army of loyal consumers to that marketplace. And they bring design and, the, yeah, and that, exactly. you know, the design yeah. and the total follow through yeah. of the product yeah. as opposed to. Yeah. what you see on the shelf when you go to Best Buy. I mean, they just, it's, you know, again, and that's very similar to Tesla's. They want to make sure that yeah. as you own the product, use the product, yeah. you know, they are, they have their own charging stations that are fast chargers. They've got yeah. interesting, uh, matter of fact, let's, the, if we, we go into the next credo. Which yeah, I was thinking that leads to symbols, symbols, symbols yeah. of reevaluation because the yeah. things they've done with a car make everybody, including yeah. the other car companies, rethink about the yeah. way they they you know yeah. the, the idea of open source you know technology the idea yeah. of um but actually they own they own their own um chip manufacturing which is yeah. so tesla hasn't had the chip uh, supply chain issues that the other mm-hmm. car companies have had yeah and 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 so they always have these little things that that make it interesting or make you you know stand up and take notice <laughs> one of the ones yeah. that i was reminded about was they they've 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 programmed a, a fart noise yeah uh you know it's like you know it's, that'll come out from under a seat if you hit yeah. the turn signal or something yeah. like that and yeah. it's like yeah. it's just one of those things that's like people go oh gosh that is just so cute yeah i'm not going to use it again but <laughs> yeah yeah but it's that you're 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 right it is sending a a, a a a symbol to the buyer that i am buying something different here i'm part of a tech scene yeah. I'm geeky. I'm whatever brand attributes they want to associate with their own ownership of Tesla. I mean, yeah. I imagine that any car could probably program in that kind of thing, but they don't because it's not part of their brand values and would look weird for them, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So that's number five, credo number five, which is create symbols of reevaluation. What's cre- credo number six? Six is sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and sacrifice basically means you know you're. I mean, you're not out after the whole market, so therefore you've mm-hmm. got to, you, you know, there, there are things that you don't want to do because you've, yeah. you've, you've got to put guardrails on who you think the target market is, on what your marketing spend is, on, yeah. you know, and, and, it, and a lot of this gets down, at least in the, you know, the content of the book gets down to the PR and, mar- and the advertising yeah. strategy, you know, so we're, are we going for, you know, the number of customers, are we going for loyal customers? Are we going yeah. for broad reach? Are we going for frequency within a target? Are we going for yeah. deep messages or are we just trying to define who we are? So, um, I like that. I, I like, I like the way I like the fact that credo is called sacrifice because, um, as we've discussed, um, it's so tempting as a marketer to want to make the top of that funnel as wide as possible awesome. and get as many people into it as possible. And then, filter them down but really 
to, to I think this reinforces some of the previous points about being idea centered and create symbols of reevaluation. Re You're really trying to find your tribe, aren't you? You're really yeah. trying to find what you know Seth Godin talks about as in the minimum viable audience, not the maximum. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. I think, and I, I, I don't, I've never heard it described as sacrifice before. But when you talk to marketers about this, it is a pain, isn't it? It is a sacrifice. No, I want to, I want to appeal to everyone. No, water down that copy and make it more, more you know, and take the personality out of that because somebody might not like it but uh, yeah yeah yeah. no it's so, it's yeah and it's something that i remember when i was at serious decisions and planning yeah. we'd always say yeah. you got to make the list of the things you don't want it you, you sh you're not yeah. going to do because yeah. they don't fit with your strategy yeah absolutely and and that whole point i mean especially if you're doing a uh, content-led uh, marketing strategy is is that um you know, if you do something that, that a number of people really like, it's highly likely that a number of people will not like it at all. If yeah. you can't be all things to all people, and if it, if it is, then nobody's really going to care. So that's interesting. I like that. I like that sacrifice. So what's credo number seven? seven. And this, mm -hmm. is, this is an interesting one uh, because the credo literally is use advertising and PR as a high value ac asset. Well, mm -hmm. so... Tesla doesn't do any advertising. I mean, <laughs> zero. I mean, it, it, you, yeah. if you do a Google search, you won't even find yeah. a Google ad that they've paid no. for. Yeah. Um, but they use, you know, it's all earned media. It's they use mm. word of mouth marketing, as you said, mm. happy customers. Um, they yeah. have a, a, you know, apparently a very good reference program uh, yeah. for Tesla owners. They do a lot of publicity stunts. They do. Yeah. They've got just the innovations of the car design center that they keep coming out with, and yeah. they've got a highly prominent although controversial leader who mm -hmm. has 23.2 million Twitter followers. Yeah. So, you know, people will say, Elon, can you do blah, blah, blah? And then he'll respond. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, that's just worth, that's worth gold. And, yeah. you know, GM has an ad budget of uh, annual ad budget of $3 billion a year. Yeah. Yeah. Tesla's got zero. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it, it, it it's mm. an excellent example of, the use of earned media yeah. and and uh, at the and unfortunately yeah. the, the sort of the bad news for uh, the people listening to this podcast is they don't have a CMO. Yeah, uh, but it, the thing is, I don't. I mean, I I I don't follow. I think Tesla is a uh, is isn't a great um, case study in terms of how many you know like are they profitable now? I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So they're profitable yeah. now, but, but, you know, it, you know, for me, I've seen organizations do quite well in various categories from like Drupal open source to also where there's an element of, of there's free money or free, you know, open source was free services that people are contributing. I don't know if this is, this is working out. And I'm not sure that I don't, can, can we take something from that, that, Tesla doesn't have a CMO and marketing department. It's just, it, it's, isn't it because it, there's a uniqueness about this organization that would be hard to capture again? Or are you saying that because they followed this method, they didn't actually need a CMO and marketing department? Because well, it, I, so there's, pieces... there's, so there's a couple of things. And, 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 yeah. and so I've, I mean, I've, I've read they don't have a marketing department. I haven't looked at their org mm -hmm. chart. <laughs> I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. What, so, but, you know, if they've got a reference, program and they've yeah. got they do pr and they yeah. they you know they show up and they work do work at events yeah so i think the i think reality is that there's marketing going on um mm -hmm. it's 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 probably not your traditional marketing department centered under a cmo yeah. the other thing is you've got 
you know, since you've got Elon Musk who is has a gigantic following and he's and and, and he's fairly um yeah. I think he's very deliberate about what he does. He just doesn't throw stuff even though sometimes it might appear like he just throws things out there yeah, in the yeah. universe. I think there's there's more deliberate activity that going on there. Yeah. So so you've got a CEO who basically serves yeah. as the head marketer and so that that I think in and of itself makes it very unique as an I organization. Think, yeah, but I think I mean I think there are less, lessons because in whatever category you're in, you potentially could be disrupted by a well-funded um, competitor that doesn't need to worry too much about making a profit that week or shareholder value, which is how these guys, how Tesla created their place in the market, didn't they? They were able to invest hugely and not worry too much about the things their competitors need to worry about, like GM and stuff. So I think well, that's that's a, there's I think there's a there's a double edged sword there. So so one mm-hmm. is I think they followed kind of a what I would think of as kind of as Amazon model where yeah. where it's like we're going to invest and we're going to we're yeah. going to invest in things smartly and do yeah. everything we can and not worry yeah. about profitability for a number of years. Yeah. Um, and um, and so you know they've been doing that. So they they have become yeah. profitable. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I can't remember the other thought I had about that, but it's like, they, it, it is, um, it's certainly, it's, it's unique, but I think eventually they, they know they have to mm. be at a role because mm. you don't want to be the, the car company that was the flash in the pan, you know, exactly. and, 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 and as electric, as more and more people mm. adopt electric cars, mm-hmm. you're going to have the, I mean, Toyota hasn't made any investment in electric cars yet, but it's like, you're going to have some of the big car companies come in. And be um, have market leading products as well. And the yeah. thing is, you just as the people in Tesla, you just want to make sure you're there while mm. some of the other startups that are trying to do the exact same thing fall by the wayside, yeah. and you're yeah. there with GM and Ford and you know yeah. Volkswagen, yeah. and yeah. and you've just been able to carve out your market, much like you know, six seven of the Japanese car companies did when they when they created their luxury cars. Yeah, you know, they yeah. created a, a, yeah. a a sort of a segment that was that you know separated them from the BMWs that they can hold and own. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, so, so the idea is, is that, uh, yeah. So we wandered a little bit too far into I think <laughs> Tesla's financial model, but from a from the these eight credos and eating the big fish, then c- clearly, f- uh, you know, aside from the fact they had huge bags of money, they were able to do the these things. What's the eighth credo? The eighth credo, which uh, is, and I mentioned this earlier, is is, is overcommit. You know, once yeah. you've got a good strategy, you got to go be a hundred percent behind it. You can't do half-assed measures. Yeah. And I think that's where you know my example with GM with Saturn back in the nineties yeah, and early aughts is that they they had something going that they yeah. failed to execute fully on. And uh, I think that's just a good ex- a good example of. Um, of of not putting the follow through and not going hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, but we see that all the time. I mean, I don't know that many. I don't know how many listeners are going to remember Saturn and General Motors uh, from from back back then. Hopefully, um, but it's but you do see that with a, with a lot of organisations where they try and be innovative and different and edgy and, and launch new product, but they don't want to give up the culture. Just. Culture yeah. just it spits it back yeah. out again. Yeah, rejects yeah. it exactly, exactly. So that's the eight credos 
of from eating the big fish by Adam Morgan talking about how to be a challenger brand just to get us back to the topic there of challenger brand. <laughs> so the one was break from your past to create a lighthouse identity third assume thought leadership four become idea centered not consumer centered five create symbols of re-evaluation six sacrifice I like that one seven use advertising PR as a high value asset although <laughs> your example Tesla didn't do that but it seems like they use PR. PR. They use yeah. PR. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and and social then, social wasn't a thing when the I mean when no, the exactly. first edition of the book yeah, social yeah. and earned media was yeah. not really a concept yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah. And then eight overcommit and really really get into it. So those are the, so we've done the weather. We've done our um, we've done the topic. Uh, next on the agenda is our song suggestion. What are you going to go with for this one, Jeff? I am going to go uh, with uh, Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer back mm. back from uh, when the days when Saturn was a successful part of it. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's it, it just it's interesting. Um, I mean, I always like the song, but it's like the, the concept that they go through of shed my skin. This is the new stuff. I go dancing yeah. in. It's it's you know yeah. it, it when you get back to the you know the sort of the first credo and it's like you've yeah. got to just like break from the past. I yeah. thought it was uh, thematically it worked. Yes, and we move forward a couple of years from last week, haven't we? Isn't this nineteen eighty six? Yes, yes, it is. yes. Fantastic. All right, mate. So that's um, that's us going back to our episode one hundred and three when we were talking about the. Um, First, First. Effing marketing fundamental of branding. Where are we going to go to next week, Nick? I, you know, I think we may dive into. Uh, we, I think we got to go back to one of our other fundamentals, and yeah. so um, I'm thinking we go back into storytelling. But uh, nice. I can storytell on storytelling. No problem with that. That's okay. Yeah. All right, mate. So I'll see you next week. We'll talk about storytelling. Awesome. Thank you. Jeff, still sticking with the 80s. Peter Gabriel and Sledgehammer there from 1986. And if any of you have thoughts on the topics we discussed or Jeff's musical choices, please get in touch. We are Rockstar CMO just about everywhere. And I will, of course, include a link to Eating the Big Fish by Adam Morgan in the show notes.
In the absence of guests this week, I thought I'd share three marketing thoughts that have inspired me this week. If you are a regular listener, you may recall that I normally do this when Jeff takes some time off saving the planet with his climate work. If you follow me on my occasionally updated Twitter account, you'll know that I dig Douglas Burdett's marketing book podcast. I seem to be always recommending other podcasts on this show, but if you've not listened to this one before, you should. I warn you, you'll buy more books, but even if you don't, Douglas teases out the salient points of each book from his guests and you get a bit of a marketing education. So my first thought is inspired by episode 375 of his show that I listened to this week, where Douglas chats with Nicholas Webb about his book, What Customers Hate, Drive Fast and Scalable Growth by Eliminating the Things that Drive Business Away. As you can imagine from the title, they talk about looking at your market and the buyer's journey through the customer's eyes, something we often discuss here. But what resonated with me, taking a B2B perspective, was that we often view this with rose-tinted specs based on an assumption that there is a perfect world where one solution will solve the client's problems, either ours or our competitors, when in reality, customers are faced with an array of imperfect choices. There is always friction, cost, effort, emotion, and maybe a slight misfit with what they need against what we or the market offers. The buyer is uncomfortable. They have to compromise. And maybe hate is a strong word, but they're choosing the option they hate least, or at least makes them the least uncomfortable. There was a lot in this conversation beyond this central idea, but it got me thinking about those times we talked to our customers for onboarding or case studies. Do we ever ask them what they didn't like? We celebrate that they chose our option. We write the case study of how they, we solved their problem. But there was something probably in there that gave them friction in that process. How do we improve on that and be the least worst option for more customers? Second thought, as part of my day job, I had the opportunity to watch Mark Ritson in action on a sponsored webinar. I'll include a link to that recording in the show notes. And it's on a similar note to my previous thought. He talks about doing the swivel, taking a 180 degree turn and turning yourself to look outside in from a customer's perspective. In typical Ritson style, he says not doing so makes you a dangerous shithouse marketer. He goes on to discuss forgetting everything you know about your customer and product fit as you are probably completely biased. And I've seen this so often when talking to companies about the competitive landscape or where they sit in a category. If you're inside a company, you are an unreliable witness. Plus, something I think we overlook as we obsess about our competitors, the buyer doesn't see it that way. They see alternatives to solving their problem. Mark didn't mention this, but of course in B2B, an alternative could be to do nothing or make do with the Excel spreadsheets or whatever they're doing now. These need to be considerations as you look through the buyer's eyes. Third and final thought, not really so much about marketing, but something else I listened to this week that got me thinking. A fellow member of the Marketing Podcast Network, Nick Westergaard, interviewed Apollo Anton Ono, a former American Olympic speed skater, for his on-brand podcast. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not that familiar with the sport of speed skating, but it was an interesting conversation as he talked about his career as an athlete. And as that came to a close, he needed to reinvent himself. And he shared his experience of doing that on the podcast. It's quite inspirational. He's written a book about it called Hard Pivot, sharing this experience. My takeaway from that was a lot of what they were talking about was letting go of the mental baggage we accumulate over the years that we think defines us. And it reminded me of something that I heard Seth Godin say, the decisions you make in your past are gifts to you today but you don't need to accept those gifts. And it was funny, um, I was chatting to my daughter uh, over dinner and something very similar came up, so that's why I thought I'd share it today. And I think the example that Seth used was that uh, you could be studying for years to be an accountant, discovering that being an accountant made you miserable. But you either continue 
being an accountant, feeling an obligation because you put in all those years of study, or choose not to accept that gift and do something you like. Now, I'm not meaning to sound like some crappy Hallmark inspirational poster. Whether it's what Apollo learned from his transition from his life as a speed skater or Seth's gifts, we are not defined by the things we can't change in our past, which is probably good advice for marketing. We're not defined by what we've done in the past. We need to pivot as well as for our personal lives. So those are my thoughts for this week. Take an outside in view of your customers. Be the least hated option. Don't be a shithouse marketer. And have a listen to Apollo Anton Ono on Nick Westergaard's On Brand podcast, wherever you're listening to this. Well worth a listen. And, as it's my thought, I get to choose a track. So I'll play out with three is the magic number by De La Soul from 1989. Three, that's the magic number. Three. It is. It's the magic number. Somewhere in this hip-hop soul community Was born three, they stub me And that's the magic number What does it all mean? Difficult preaching is posthumous pleasure Pleasure in preaching starts in the heart Something that stimulates the music in a measure Measure in the music, racing three parts Casually see but don't do like the soul Dila Solbe, I love that track. Right, that's quite enough of me. I will, of course, include links to the Marketing Book Podcast, the webinar with Mark Ritson, and the On Brand Podcast by Nick Westergaard in the show notes at rockstarcmo.fm. And if you have any thoughts or comments, give me a shout on the socials. I'm Ian Truscott just about everywhere, or drop me an email. I'm Ian at rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's Friday evening. Time to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. Thank you. Um, you know, it's, uh, well, here we are, mm-hmm. the end of the week. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. it is it is hot here in Southern California. And <laughs> I don't uh, have that know, problem. <laughs> I, I, well, I was just there, so oh, I know no. that there were I know you're not having the problem of heat because it was bloody cold when when I was in London. Yes. That was it snowed while I was there. Yes. I mean, that was crazy. Yes. It probably hailed as well. I mean, I think when you were here we had all the seasons in probably the same day. So, no, yeah. it was it was crazy. I, yeah. I I was talking with uh I think it was a bartender. Yeah. Um and he said, you know, he he obviously noticed right away that I I'm an American. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, what you know, it's the stupidity that gives it away, really. I mean, more than anything else. <laughs> um, but beyond that, he said, he said, how are you enjoying London? And I said, oh, I, I'm enjoying it. I get here a lot. And yeah. I, I, well, in olden times, I used to get there a lot. And, and, yeah. and it was, but I said, it's, you know, the snow is, is, and he said, oh, you know, last weekend I was in shorts and, and doing a barbecue. Yeah. And yeah. on Monday, you know, I was in a turtleneck sweater. He said, it, it's yeah. been crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was the last few weeks. Weather has been mad. We absolutely, we I think we had our summer <laughs> in, in March for one week, and that was that. <laughs> so you're suffering from the heat there in California. I am suffering from the heat here in California. Mm. Yes, and, and so so on that mm-hmm. score, I've yep. uh, made us something cool for summer. Um, nice. You know, I don't know if you 
actually drink a lot of these. We drink a lot of these in California, but I don't know if mm-hmm. you if you drink these in in the UK or not. But Aperol spritz. Do you do you drink a lot of Aperol? Oh, in, I, I that, that's uh, yes, yes. Uh, I am familiar with with. I don't know that I've drunk much of it, uh, but uh, you do see that, especially like uh, it, when it's when it when the weather is good, or if you're in. Southern it Spain is, or something like that. It is like a that, yeah. very refreshing yeah. drink. It's basically Aperol, mm-hmm. right? So yep. you, you take a little bit of Aperol. And then yeah. what we do is we put uh, a little bit of Prosecco because, of course, let's go all the way Italian. Um, yep. And then you top it up with a little soda or a sparkling water, whichever is your, your favorite there. And mm-hmm. then put a little ice in that and lemon. And, oh, my goodness gracious, is that a wonderfully refreshing drink. It is yes. just absolutely delightful. And then it's one of those that fools you into thinking you're not drinking, isn't it? That's true. It is absolutely <laughs> one of those that, you know, you know, I mean, the Prosecco is, is, is sort of the leading yes. idea there. And, but yeah. it is, yeah, you can, it yes. can catch up to you very quickly. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the heat. Uh, well, that sounds delicious. I shall, um, I shall look at the ingredients on my uh, desktop bar and attempt to make the same drink. So did you, that's got to have ice in it, right? Mm-hmm. Splendid. I'm going to drop some ice. Ice is important, yes, for this one. Ice is important. Uh, it's important every week. Um, I don't have, uh, uh, you'll be surprised and shocked to learn that I don't have a par- apparel, apparel? On my, apparel? Apparel? Yeah. Apparel? On my, on my desktop bar. But I do indeed have some, um, some gin. <laughs> the most English of Aperol's, yes. <laughs> yes, I'm not going to drink that uh, Italian nonsense. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I will keep it light, though, and very refreshing, because I'm going to go for uh, a bit of... Uh... Oh, there wasn't much of it. I'm going to go for some Fever Tree Cucumber Tonic Water, which I think has a lot in common with hardly anything we ever make on this show. <laughs> so I'm going there it to is. Yeah. stick some of that in there. And um, what are we calling this, Robert? Well, we call this an Aperol Spritz, which is, you know, it is a spritz. It is just a lovely, refreshing drink on a hot day. This is, I'd love it if it was a hot day, but this is a refreshing drink. This is very nice. Thank you. I could drink one of these every week. I suspect you might, Mm. yes. That's delicious. So we're um, we're having these delicious, refreshing drinks in the the heat. Whereabouts will we be finding that heat? Well, I think we should be, you know, so I'm pretty well on record, mm. you know, as hating Florida. Yes, um, yes. Yes. So most people, if they've listened to my other little podcast or this one for any length mm-hmm. of time, have heard me rail on my battle, my ongoing battle with my arch enemy, Florida. <laughs> um, however, however, uh, if you have to go to Florida... Um, yes. You definitely want to go to the west coast of Florida, mm. um, the Gulf side, to be yes. clear. Yes. And there is a little place there that I have been to before, um, which would be lovely for us to get away from uh, the heat and, and mm-hmm. sit on the beach and put our toes in the sand and maybe listen to a little Jimmy Buffett as we sip our Aperol spritz. Oh, um, and that is on Marco Island. There's a place called Marco Island, that, mm-hmm. which is on the south end of the state um but then um uh it's on the west coast of florida and it's just mm-hmm. it's a delightful place it's a it's a it's a really nice place and 
you know, no, I mean, it's got all the things that I hate about Florida, which is the humidity and the bugs and everything mm-hmm. like that. But yeah. it's got, you're, uh, you're not that keen on the people. Either, either, right? nice. <laughs> the water's lovely. Nice. Uh, is that on the tippy bit by the, by the keys or is it on the, on the pan? It is, well, no, top? it's not down by the keys. It's not far. It's not quite that far South. Uh-huh. Um, it is, you know, it is North of the Everglades. Yes. So uh, it is, you know, it is just North of the Everglades. In fact, nice. so it's, it's up, um, I guess the closest big city that it would be to, uh, that is a great question. A big, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know the biggest uh. city that it would be close to. It's just across, like literally if you cross this, if you go across from Marco Island all the way, yeah. if you drove across the state, which is not very wide at that point, um, you'd hit Miami, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it's literally yeah. d- almost due west of Miami. Yes, pre-children. Well, it's almost like our honeymoon because we moved to the U.S. and then we took a holiday after we got married, and we were in Miami, and I we very much enjoyed that. And um, we drove down the Keys in a convertible Mustang, and I managed to get sunburn one side of my face. And then, of course, when we drove ah, there you go. That's, and then, yeah. That's... And then when we drove back, it was dark, so I never got the other side of my face <laughs> sunburn. Which is great. Anyway, that's uh, so that's that sounds lovely. So we're dipping our toes in the water. We're drinking these lovely, refreshing drinks. Uh, we've talked about your love affair with Florida, uh, and the thoughts turn to marketing. What are we going to be talking about this week? Well, you know, it it is it has to do with something that we talked, uh, I guess, a fair bit about uh, on this uh, on this particular um, show, which is planning. Um, and, 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 and it's something that's been on my mind recently because we often say we're going to do, you know, strategic planning, right? So we say, Hey, we're going to do strategic planning. And what does that mean? Right. What is it? Because whenever I say to a client or, you know, somebody in a workshop or something, I, I, I say, you know, you should, you should introduce a strategic plan as part of your process. They go, Oh, we do, we do strategic planning. And I Mm -hmm. said, well, tell me about that. And they'll say something to the effect of, well, we get, you know, once a quarter, we get the team together, we go to a hotel, we have bagels, we open up with some influencer who comes in and does a speech, and Mm -hmm. then we go break off into groups, and we do a bunch of sticky notes about what we should be doing, and we come back, and we all form our quarterly strategic plan, and Mm -hmm. away we go. And I say, that's nice. That's making strategy, but it's not strategic planning. Um, <laughs> you know, strategic planning is part of your everyday process. It is, yes. it is something that you do every single day to make sure that that wonderful strategy that you went off and made while you were having bagels actually gets done. Um, and so in a content process, what I often find is, is that this is really missing because, you know, and what this really has to do with when you sort of peel back everything is learning how to be big. In other words, one of the biggest failures I see in content and marketing planning is we start small, whether we're a small Mm -hmm. company, whether we're a small team in a big company, but as we get bigger, we never learn how to become big. We never Mm -hmm. learn how to act big. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, is that what happens is, is that a content team starts and they start producing stuff and they start taking orders and they start, you know, becoming the fulfillers of content and everybody's happy and wonderful. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And like I was working with one team and they, oh my gosh, you know, they started with two and then they were four and then they added six more and they were 10. And then pretty soon they were 15 people. And 
what they never changed at all as they grew from two to 15 people was the processes by which they strategically planned how they were going to do the thing that they needed to do. Mm-hmm. And this is a, it's, it's the one thing that we most commonly work on with our clients, which is how do you start putting planning and prioritization into a, an existing workflow? And you've got to start to be able to turn and transform what it is your, your, you know, if you call it a content calendar or a marketing calendar or whatever from a to-do list, because most cases, your marketing calendar, your content calendar is like, here's what we did, you know, or here's what, here's, you know, here's what's being asked of us to do rather than here's a plan of what it is we plan to do. Yeah. And that, you know, (laughs) it, it all comes down to internal communication, being able to communicate internally our intentions, the the thing that our team as a big team, as a strategic Mm -hmm. team in a business, because now we're not two anymore, we're 15. What do you intend to do? Because as a colleague of mine, and I think I may have even mentioned it on this show before, as a colleague of mine said to me one time, you know, in a big enterprise, it's not what you do, it's what they think you do. Yes. And And so strategic planning is the communication vehicle that helps us communicate to everybody else what we do. Yeah. And, 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 and so that they, that those two things are aligned, what they think we do and what we do are, are actually (laughs) the same thing. Yeah. And so we need to not fear it. Right. It, It feels like many times, you know, when we're two or three or four people and we're starting to grow that this means, uh, we're going to be putting in bureaucracy or we're Mm going to be putting in, you know, overhead, or Mm -hmm. this is going to slow things down. And the spoiler alert here is, yeah, it does. It's Mm -hmm. adding in a strategic planning part of your process does slow it down purposely Mm -hmm. so that prioritization and planning become more considered. And so that you actually take the time to say, here's what we should do rather than here's all the things being asked of us to yes. do. And that's the, that's the, that's the importance of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And sort of, like you say, going from a spreadsheet of, of things to do to, to actually stating what you're going to achieve. And it, from your perspective, is that, are those achievements then turning from activities to outcomes? So this is the impact that we're going to have as a group on the business. Well, ideally, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, because you you simply it's a it's a great point because you simply can't yeah measure on outcomes if you're not proactively creating the thing that's going to create the outcome. In other words. If you're always in reactive mode, if every mm-hmm. if everything you do is in reaction to a request that's being made from other parts of the organization, there is no there there is no outcome measurement. Yeah, because the outcome measurement is already predetermined by fulfilling the requested task. Yeah, and and so the only thing you can be measured on if you're in 100% reactive mode is the completion of the task, because you yeah. had no say in why you're doing that yeah. thing in the first place, and so. All you can do is say, yep, I completed the requested task. You can't be measured on the outcome of the request because it wasn't yours to begin with. Yeah. And then you get measured on how many things you get done rather than outcomes. Right. Well, that becomes the immediate. So when somebody says, well, we have to measure by outcome, you go, okay, well, the only outcome I can measure is how many of these things that I do. Yeah, exactly. And that's no, that's not a good place to be. No, it is <laughs> in in no in in no job ever. Yeah, 
is it more optimal to be measured by how many things did you make? Yes. And, um, but, and how do you approach this? Because this is such a typical challenge that I've seen throughout my career, and I'm sure you see it with all of your clients as well, is, is, is making that shift because it's all very well, isn't it? We've got this huge to-do list to do. We still have to do this to-do list, uh, as everybody thinks that we still need to do. Um, but at the same time, we need to build some headroom into this in order to think strategically and build this better plan and to communicate that plan internally of what we're going to do. How, how, what, are, what are the things that you advise your clients that they need to do to do that? Well, the, the biggest is, the, is, is acknowledging that as the leader of that group or yeah. the you know, informal leader of that group, whatever it is, you know, and it may be more than one person, quite frankly, but whatever and whoever it is, is the acknowledgement that it may start to remove you from the actual work. Mm -hmm. In other words, organizing the work, learning how to become, you know, one of the things that I absolutely had to learn and honestly didn't like (laughs) about becoming an executive Uh uh, as my team grew from, you know, one person being me yes. to two people to at one point in my startup, I was managing, you know, almost 40 people. Yeah. Um, you know, is that you stop doing the work, right? Yeah. You stop, you know, you yeah. start becoming a governance and manager yeah. rather than a, you know, yeah. creator of the work. And that is often very disconcerting for people mm-hmm. in the content creation business and marketing, right? You, you stop doing the marketing and you start doing the managing of the marketing. And yeah. that, that acknowledgement has to, and you have to do that yeah. in order to enable some of those processes you have to lead and manage. And sometimes that means leaving the work. The second piece is just delegating the time to do it. You know, yeah. you have to set the expectations that, you know what, you're not, we're not McDonald's. You're not going to get fries with that. And mm-hmm. you have to actually change the, mm-hmm order of the process and to, to become more than just an order taker and more of a strategic, you know, forward looking. And that means more responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I I love this topic. And I I think that we could um, dive into both of those two things because I think it's really interesting for a CMO as you go through your career and you end up doing less of the work. Uh, But that's what drives you as a creative marketer is to do the work. But then you find yourself just as a project manager or managing agencies. And, and and I know, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with senior marketers that have lost any real marketing, you know, not skills, but, you know, what they're doing. All they are is they outsource their brain to the agency, to the team. And, you know, it's just exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's no fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Outsourcing your brain is never. A good idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an excellent thought. And uh, I'm Robert. Where can people find such guidance when they want to outsource their brain to to a blog post or two? Well, they should be able to find it just about anywhere they Google, right? (laughs) But but if you're looking for my particular point of view on the topic, you might find that at our website, which is contentadvisory.net. Fantastic. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where do they find you, Robert? Uh, They're finding me more and more these days on two channels, which would be LinkedIn and Twitter. And I'm happy to connect with anybody there. A splendid one. And most importantly, I mean, I will see you on LinkedIn and Twitter. Will I see you in the bar next week? Oh, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. Excellent. I look forward to that, my friend. I'll see you then. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you, Robert. I think we all struggle to balance being strategic and delivering on that tactical to-do list. So grateful. 
So that's a wrap on episode 109 of the Rockstar CMO Effig Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello, follow their work and check out all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Please let us know and help other people find us by dropping a rating or review in your favourite podcast app, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will dive back into storytelling. I'm chatting to Chris Smith, author of The Conversion Code, and Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week, and I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.